Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor at the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? I'm good, thank you, John. Excellent. And we are going to talk today about the lead piece in your weekly alpha report, amongst other things. But uh, but this is a little bit of a departure from your usual sort of company analysis. It's actually more about the, the strategy that you uh, you prefer, um, and one that you've actually written about at length in your book, which is uh, now required reading in the office. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I bought, I bought a dozen copies for the, uh, for the team. Hopefully that will Have make some of that... Not yet. (laughs) I've I've dipped into it, Phil. Uh, uh, Hopefully some of that will uh, find its way to you. Some some royalties there, maybe. Probably not as much as I paid. No, no, I think you're right there. Never mind, never mind. I'd have bought them direct if you had them, but but there you go. Let's start with this piece. Uh, Before we move on to a couple of companies, uh, we're going to talk briefly about Debenhams because they've had a a refinancing which which keeps the wolf from the door there for the time being. Um, And we're going to talk about a little property company that uh, that caught your eye, which you've also covered in your alpha report. Let's start with uh, with your your little quality share portfolio, um, which echoes the subject of your book, How to Pick Quality Shares. Yeah. Uh, this this essentially is a uh, of trying to keep it very simple, but the sort of central thesis of my book is a, is like anything in life you get you, you get what you pay for to a large extent as long as you don't pay too much for it, and this has been a theme that's been exploited by very prominent fund managers in the UK, Terry Smith, uh, Nick Train. You could even describe people like Buffett as as using this kind of strategy. They buy very robust businesses that do something that other companies find it difficult to copy. They make very good profits out of it. They're very clean in terms of their ability to generate cash. Um, hopefully, they can reinvest that and they can keep on just chugging away. Um, growing not not at fantastic rates but at decent rates and they can keep compounding in value Um, it's it's like a subject that we've talked about for quite a few weeks about these sort of big mature chugging companies the bond proxy type argument that they have very stable predictable growing cash flows that are very valuable because of those characteristics. And those characteristics are underpinned by the type of businesses that they are. They are they are businesses that do things, they solve problems, they do something that other companies find it very difficult to copy. They have, it's, that, it's, it's like it's, it's the, the jargon is a moat, a barrier to entry. The economic that, moat, yeah. Yeah, it has something a little bit special. Let's have a look at some of the companies that meet those criteria. So you've actually got a list of seven criteria yeah. that you uh, use to identify quality shares. We won't go through that in detail. You can read that in the Alpha report, but yeah. I'm sure you'll bring some of them up as we talk about these companies. Let's let's pick one. Diageo. We have talked about that recently. Yeah. Um, let's come back to it. Because you, this was something you wrote on the magazine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, Unilever versus Diageo, yeah. both in the portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Diageo actually is a really good example of of the sort of message that I'm trying to get across trying to copy a global spirits business is incredibly difficult that's why there are actually so few global spirits companies out there the cost involved in terms of um, distilleries distribution which is a massive barrier to entry and also the fact if you want to compete 
in premium scotch market, you've got to lay down these whiskies for 12 years and mm. you've got to finance that stock, which is incredibly expensive. And these, are the, these, these businesses are a great example of brands that have been built up over years and years and years and years. And they become deeply entrenched with consumers and backed by these physical assets, which are incredibly expensive to build from scratch. And you throw those combination of characteristics together with a steady but growing demand for the products that they sell and also the ability of the company to keep premiumizing and raising the prices and you have something which ticks along very nicely interestingly actually algae stock screen this week is is on the subject of pricing power um yeah. and it's, it's been a very successful strategy a uh, very successful screen pricing power is a really really powerful thing for investors yeah i mean it's like i mean there used to be i mean it's not it's not like tobacco but generally when you get people into one particular brand um they will stick with it and that tends to give um give the companies um the pricing power one of the things that's always sort of fascinated me over the years is if you look at anything where the government slaps a duty on so tobacco and alcohol it creates a bit of opaqueness in the in the eyes of the consumer about the actual pricing and you know, how much is this actually due to the company putting mm. the price up and how much of it is the government and that's actually quite helpful from the company's point of view interesting um i mean just by way of comparison i mean as you say you know uh, creating premium spirits is an expensive business making hamburgers is not and yet mcdonald's is, is one of your quality shares yeah and this was something you you looked at in detail in your column uh, i think it was last week yeah and it's one actually I just added into this this model portfolio actually after I researched it. So it's a new it's a new entry. What so you know why why has McDonald's got a moat? It's making hamburgers. It's making hamburgers, but what it, what it's doing what it's doing is it has immense scale, and it competes on um, a combination of price and quality of service. Uh, you know you go into a McDonald's restaurant and. It's not just hamburgers these days. They are expanding out into more healthier types of food. Um, and also things like coffee um, and breakfasts, which are two big growth drivers for it. And it is offering these at a very, very compelling price. And it, you go into a McDonald's restaurant and or a drive through and the service levels are incredibly high. And this has been developed over years and years and years of experience, training, innovating, and it's very difficult. Yes, there are other quick service restaurants out there, but it's very difficult to compete against that. You also have it backed. The business model is essentially a franchising system. So you have a company here which isn't having to invest huge amounts of cash um, because that is essentially being done by the franchisees. And the income is coming back at very, very high rates of profit. Now, obviously, there are risks with it, and we discussed them a couple of weeks ago about well, the power of the franchisees versus the franchisor. 
But what seems to be happening at the moment is that this is a company that three years ago a lot of people had given up on. But it has seems to be in a sweet spot now where it is beginning to, to, to deliver some consistency in the growth of the sales from the restaurants. And that is that is flowing back very nicely to the to the shareholders. Uh, the, the, the next question I was going to ask you is, we, as, as you as you suggest, we talked about Domino's yeah. uh, recently uh, and the troubles it's been having with its franchisees. Does McDonald's face the same same risk there? Yeah. And how is it managing it any better? Probably, because <laughs> I don't think Domino's could be managing it any any worse. <laughs> um, the problem, the problem with Domino's, just just to go on to Domino's, the problem I see it is Domino's is Domino's holds the master franchise in the UK, but it actually isn't in control of its own destiny because that franchise has been given to it by Domino's Inc., the Ameri- the American parent company, and obviously Domino's Inc. gets a royalty back from Domino's UK, and for Domino's Inc. To grow, it needs Domino's UK to grow. So Domino's UK, to a certain extent, is under pressure to keep growing the number of stores, which means that the only way it can do it is sort of split split territories, or that's the way it's trying to do mm. it, which creates a conflict with the franchisees. Or expand into new countries, which it's also tried to do with marginal success. And no success. It's, lo- it's losing money. So it's sort of... Domino's itself, Domino's UK, in a sense, is a kind of franchisee of Domino's Inc. The sort of issues at McDonald's are slight, uh, slightly different in that there's not that, cha- that chain, but it's a conflict over who bears the costs of things like remodelling stores, um, wages, prices, and that kind of thing. And... That doesn't seem to be causing... I mean, yes, there is an issue. There's definitely an issue in America. There's, there's, there's franchisees have got together and they're kicking up a stink about it. That doesn't seem to be spreading outside of America. I mean, America is about a third of McDonald's sales, global sales. And it's something definitely to keep an eye on. But it's not as significant as affecting dominoes in its core in its core profit center mm. i just think it's something to watch the, the management team it's not coming through and affecting the businesses i think the risk is definitely there i just think that the way the business is being run at the moment that risk is being managed reasonably well yeah but it's something you're absolutely right to point out and in terms of the investment process, you always think think about the risks. But generally, this is a business that the, the, the chief executive has got hold of it over the last three years, shaking it up. There's definitely more to go for on things like the breakfast menus, the coffee. I mean, if you look at the coffee that they're selling, they're selling this as a fraction of the price that Starbucks and Costa are selling at it. Some might say deservedly so, but actually the reviews of this product is actually it's very, very good value for money. And I think one of the main reasons for identifying a stock like this is that I feel that we are in a world where value for money is just going to get more and more important as um, people's take-home pay doesn't grow faster than prices. Mm. And therefore, 
companies that can get into the mindsets of consumers of communicating value for money, and I think McDonald's has done that incredibly well. Um, they are they are the ones that are going to do well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned value for money because the one thing uh, that you can't say about quality shares, and I think you you alluded to this earlier when you said you get what you pay for. Yeah, they're not cheap. No, they're generally not. speaking. No, they're not cheap. Um, and like a lot of the stock market, they can really only really be justified by the presence of and the continued presence of cheap money mm. and low interest rates on savings accounts and government bonds. They, the advantage is, is they have the ability to keep growing. And if you were to turn around, I think this port, if you look at this portfolio, I didn't, didn't put it in, but I think the average sort of one-year forecast rolling P is actually under 20 times. No, no, you've got that there. It's there. Okay, I've got that. Okay. It's, it's, it's mostly around, around 19, 20. Yeah, so a couple look cheaper, so, a couple look more expensive. So you turn it around. These companies, one of the things that you look for is, is companies that are very good at turning their profits into cash. So that when you're looking at something like earnings per share, the PE ratio, you're getting fairly close to, to cash or free cash flow. So you turn it around and you're sort of looking at you know a free cash flow yield of 5% against bond yields in the UK of 1.3 or 2.6 in the United States. And that's the sort of that, that relativity, that relative yield premium with the ability to grow is what supports this investment at the moment. And it's the big risk of it, but it's the big risk for everything. Mm. And what you're trying to do with with a sort of strategy like this is that by investing in robust businesses, you are minimising or reducing your investment risk on business risk. Yes, you have to pay up for it, but actually these these companies perform pretty well. In, in volatile times. And I, I have personal experience that, that proves that over the last year, the market, these, these things have actually done better than the market because, because they have gone down less in times of volatility because people are comfortable sticking with them than the market as a whole. Yeah, and, and I mean, as you mentioned earlier, this is a strategy that people like Terry Smith, uh, Fun Smith, have, have employed uh, gainfully. Um, Nick Train. Lintel train yeah, is that extremely yeah. well out of this holding holding a few you know, very high quality shares. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing novel here. You know, it's 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 um it is it is a strategy that is that is employed and been employed very well and one that I think has got I got a lot of attractions. Actually, Nick Train this week has topped up his uh, his holding uh, quite quite significantly in Hargreaves Lansdowne, which which appears on your list. It's uh, it's a very interesting business. It's, I think what did he say? I mean, he basically thinks this is kind of the potential here is absolutely huge, and it's already an enormous company. Um, yeah. I, I guess I guess this is a play on self invested pensions. It is for me. For me, it's there until I can find something better. <laughs> because it's, because I. It is a f- quantitatively, if you look at you know the profit, it's obscenely profitable. I think we, I think we've written about it. The only company that is more profitable in the UK in terms of profit margin, return on capital, cash generation is right. Right, move. I, right, right, move, right move. And I have my concerns about right move. Um, and I have concerns about about Hargreaves Lansdowne as well. 
um, just in terms of the whole pricing structure of um, of platforms. It's got a lot of room to manoeuvre, though, you would think. And with that level of profitability, it, it can absorb that sort of pressure. It can, but can it share price? Mm. You know, it is it is the most expensive of the shares in your yeah. uh, in your portfolio. Yeah, on a P rolling PE basis. Yeah, it's highly valued. It's it's the one that that's been in there for the last year or so, and it's the one that I do feel. If you ask me, ask me stocks that you start questioning or you keep questioning a lot, that is one that I keep questioning, and probably is a candidate. If I was going to get rid of it and find a better idea and replace it, that would be one of the shares that I would probably look to kick out. What's, what's the plan for this then? You're going to keep this keep this going? It's, keep, not, it's not real anymore. It's not real that. anymore. It was real until I started coming work for, for you guys. I'm sorry about that. You, <laughs> you had, yeah, we have some quite strict rules around share ownership. Uh, and rightly so. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, so you had to liquidate your, yeah, your quality was, SIP going to a tracker. Yeah, this, this was my SIP portfolio. With the exception of McDonald's and Avon Rubber, um, I like Avon Rubber's nice company. Yeah, I like Avon Rubber. Uh, uh, gas gas masks, isn't it mainly? For, uh, uh, it's it's um, yeah, breathing breathing equipment for the military. US, military, US military. Yeah, yeah I, I think the police buy a lot of this stuff in the police, US as well. Police, it's it's um, depart- US depart- Department of Defense. And then it's moving out into emergency services, mm. police and fire. And then there's a sort of agricultural side to it as well. Milking machines. Milking machines, which is less, less glamorous. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that, that's something something that I like. But going, going back to it, yeah, this is something that um, I've kept on. I kept on managing it because it is the sort of central thesis of what I write about and about my book and a lot of the columns that I write about in the Investors Chronicle. And I've decided this week to bring it out in the open and decide to keep it as a as a regular as a regular feature. For lots of reasons actually. A to keep me sort of on my toes. Um but also just to show people how this approach works, how effective it is. Um, and obviously, I've got the comparisons in with the with, with the fund managers that follow that approach, and actually, how difficult actually it is to run a to run a portfolio and and beat the market sometimes. You did you did beat the market though with this portfolio. I think uh, yeah, yeah. the Vanguard S and P five hundred ETF there, which uh, has also has done very well over over year, but you've done slightly best with this. The case for active management there in black and white. Well. Well, maybe. <laughs> I, maybe, it, maybe. I think you know it's active. Active management is hard, and this is what I want to try and show. I mean, obviously, you can you can achieve your objectives through a variety of different approaches. This is this is my sort of preferred approach. I think it suits people who don't want to worry too much. Who want to invest in things that they feel secure about and leave it. And um, it's just, I think it's, a, it's for me, if you're going into active management, either if you're choosing an active management fund or you're ac- managing your own active portfolio yourself, this is an approach, one of the few approaches, perhaps 
with the exception of maybe some sort of quality income approach that I sort of really feel that works. Hence, it's I think it's plenty of there's plenty of good copy and uh, debate that can come out of it. Excellent. We'll have to get up on the website. It would involve a little bit of web development to get to get this up there. I think it's a kind of approach that the private investor can do themselves. Yes, they can outsource it to people like Terry Smith and Nick Train, and, and that might be the best thing to do. But you can, but you can have a go at doing it yourself, and that's that's what a lot of my stuff is about. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good it's as good a portfolio as any I've seen. So uh, why not? I mean, there's, you know, you can pick holes in everything. You know, and I, you know, I've expressed issues about certain companies that are in there but it's trying to keep it simple it's it's got 21 shares in at the moment it started off as 20 equal weighted five percent weightings keeping it simple not trying to be too clever with it and uh seeing how you get on should we uh should we should we switch from quality to the polar opposite of quality debitums yeah What's go- what's going on here? I mean, they, uh, I think they've made some money, yeah. Which which basically keeps them going for a little while. Keeps them going and keeps the keeps the people who've lent money to it going as well. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, I don't think people are too surprised about this. One of the big sort of um, thoughts that've been banded around a lot about Debenhams in the last few months is whether the companies that are supplying it could get. Um, Credit insurance, yeah, and clearly, what I think's happened here, or what the result of this forty million pounds that they've got in terms of extra cash or liquidity, how you want to see it, is that it probably may it it solves the problem for now of suppliers having the confidence to supply it. Does this mean it's having to pay cash up front then for for, for its stock? I don't know. I don't know what it means in terms. But if of, you can't if you can't get trade credit. No, what I'm saying is they may get trade credit now because, right, because, right. They, because well they will get they will get it because this gives the suppliers the confidence and therefore the insurers yes, the yes. confidence that that Debenhams is good for the money or reasonably good for the money for now. Mm. Um, but it doesn't really. I mean, the other interesting development as well is that it's um, it's gone into partnership with a. Um, a sourcing company, a supply, a sort of supply chain management sourcing company, to source its um, own label products, and this obviously is quite interesting because you think, why would a company get into bed with a company that might die? And if you were looking for an optimistic slant on this, that's quite a positive development. Firstly, because a company like this has has got has actually signed up with Debenhams and got in, gone into into an agreement with Debenhams, but also if it works and they can source their goods um, at better profit margins, then the profits of Debenhams could benefit from it as well. Yeah, yeah. But the key thing, I think, the key thing on the other side of the argument is that is and and the and the company actually make the statement that this is a bridge. To a further refinancing of the of of the company, I think this company has got so much bank debt. It's got three hundred million of not bank debt, but actual borrowings, huge amount of lease debt, and long rental agreements. That I think the, the view is that something's going to have to be done. A massive reorganisation, a, a CVA, maybe like 
what's happened with something like Carpet Right, which is in conjunction with a fresh fresh raising of equity. And what does that mean for the existing shareholders? Does it mean that it preserves any value for them? Or do we get something along the lines where the banks say, OK, we'll swap our debt for equity, and if you're an existing shareholder, there's nothing left for you? Yeah, I, uh, we talked earlier, the, the, the question that, that, that obviously one would ask in a situation like this is, you know, with this lifeline, are the shares at 4p or whatever they're at? Is there a little bit of uh, upside here? I think you 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 suggest you use the cigar butt analogy, which I think was once favoured by Warren Buffett. Yeah. Is there another puff in this yeah. this company? There might be. <laughs> I don't know. There might be, but you know, is it is it a cigarette that you want? To, is it a cigar that you want to pick up off the pavement? No, it, no, no. Uh, we've actually got a news piece on this as well as your uh, your your, uh, yeah. your update now for uh, Harriet sticking to her guns with this. Yeah, yeah. Cell. I understand that. Yeah, I, I understand that as well. Let's let's uh, let's shift back to now. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go describe this as quality, um, but it but it certainly has a whiff of value about it, uh, and that's Mucklow. Uh, where there's Mucklow, there's brass potentially. Yeah, uh, you like the look of this company, and Jonas has written this up in the results section. It's a, an industrial property landlord. Yeah, I've doesn't owned, sound like a good place to be. I've, I've owned shares of this in the past because I, I, I like I like the look of it. Um, it's uh, it's like it's a family business. Um, always, I, I must admit, I'm always partial to a family yeah, business. They, I, the they m- tend the to Mucklow do well. family are still the biggest shareholder. I think they own about seventeen percent of the company. The um, Rupert Mucklow is the chairman of the company. He's about to to step down, actually. He is. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of rare. You, there are lots of family businesses, but not necessarily with family on the management team. Yeah. So this is a rare example. Yeah, James Halstead had it, didn't they? Up until. Quite recently, there's quite, there's a, there are a number of companies, yeah. but, but they tend to kind of over time yeah. sort of uh, vanish from the board. And this this is the kind of business about seventy percent of the uh, property port. So it's a real estate investment trust. So it pays out most of its profits to shareholders in a dividend, um, and therefore it's a it's an income. It, it's a, it's a stock that will interest uh, income investors. What's the and, yield? Four, and, four and a half percent yield. A bit more, yeah. Not too bad. Property, obviously property has had a really rough time, uh, particularly those that are exposed to shopping centres and and so on. This is is 70% of this is warehousing, logistics, mainly in the the Midlands. And um, this is the kind of business that probably people will worry about based on the political goings on at the moment, what happens to trade and so on well the last business in the uk please turn out the lights that, kind, that kind of stuff yeah um, um see, it, it appears to be misplaced when you look at, at the financial performance here yeah the trading trading's pretty good i mean this this is a company that's got record occupancy so this is 97.6 percent full i say only is you know its occupancy rate is only 2.4 percent now that is not a sign of a business where its customers are running for the hills um, the good news is also the company is reletting, reletting space at higher rents than the, than existing rents, and it's also investing in a new property development just outside Birmingham that will add another sort of seven eight percent growth as a step up mm-hmm. to the rent roll. It's very very well managed. Um, 
this is not a property company that's stuffed full of debt. I think if you look at the debt to value, debt to value is only about sixteen percent. Yeah, so. the gearing figure we use here uh, is nineteen percent. Uh, yeah, so it's got, se- it's got uh, half year end. Yeah, so it's got seventy million of debt. The property value is four four three million. The net asset value is uh, about three seventy. So the net, so the gearing of net debt to shareholders funds is about nineteen. Net debt to property value is is sixteen, and that is pretty low. For, for property company, which is good from a risk point of view, also good from an opportunities point of view. This company has got some financial muscle, some financial flexibility to uh, to go and buy stuff um, if the price is if the price is right. It's got an incredibly good record at raising the dividend. This is not this is not the kind of company that's going to shoot the lights out. It's got a, I think, a forward yield of about four point seven, trailing dividend yield of about four and a half, but it trades at a discount to uh, to NAV. Uh, I think from memory, the NAV is about five seventy two. It's exactly five seventy two, and the current share price is about a fiver. Very good, Phil. So, so, so there's a discount which obviously reflects investor concerns and nervousness about. It's not. A, it's not an enormous discount. It's about twelve percent. Looking at the table yeah. in this this not, piece here, which is not. Mad. I mean, there are some property companies, REITs, that are trading yeah. much bigger discounts than that. Mainly in the retail. Yeah, sector. I mean, you know, if I, uh, you know, I think I'd be quite nervous about putting my money into shopping centres. Yes, uh, and if you look at the yield, the sort of rental yield on this. So you look at the rent as a as a percentage of the value is about five point eight. The equivalent yield. Which takes into account the future rents that are going to come from the properties about six point three. That suggests to me that this is that NAV figure because obviously NAV is is all well and good as long as that NAV on the balance sheet is realistic, and that's a function of the income that those assets produce. And I think if you look at the kind of yields that it's on, um, that suggests to me that 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 yield is probably not far off the mark mm. um it's not growing that much um i think i think the days of big uplifts in property value from falling interest rates that's gone and it now becomes about about rental growth asset, asset management i think they call it in the property business oh, yeah. confusingly i just look at i just call it rental growth <laughs> can you get your ten, can you get a bit more and i think if you look at the the relettings the renewals You've got another million quid of rent coming on, which is reasonable in terms of the annual rent roll. You look at the valuation, and this is this is sort of a perhaps under the radar type of income stock that um, private investors might want to have a look at. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Phil. That's. Uh that pretty much concludes uh, this podcast. Uh, there's lots more in your alpha report to, to, that we could could discuss, but we're uh, that's fine. We need, we need to leave the reader something to uh, yeah to, to sit down and read. Lots more in the magazine this week. Uh, a few more pages of results than there has been uh, throughout the start of the year. The cover feature is uh, a look at China and particularly China's debt and and what the implications are should that spark a, 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 a slowdown in the country. And we are already seeing signs that that China is uh, is, is really coming off the boil. Um, we're seeing it in the in the UK car industry for a start. I mean the Jaguar Land Rover numbers, which uh, what were they earlier, earlier this year? 
the, the slowdown in China has, has hit them very, very hard indeed. Yeah, um, I think you know, I think the general worry about credit in China as well is people people keeping an eye on that. It's it's eye watering the amount of debt there. Um, there's an actually, there's a chart in the uh, in the feature. It's I think it's it's some somewhere around thirty between thirty and thirty five trillion of debt sloshing around uh, in China, and that's about three times the size of the economy. Yeah. Yeah, it's become a it's become a Western economy, hasn't it? It certainly has. Um, with all the problems that come with Western economies, particularly the demographic uh, problems, which uh, which are really starting to bite there. So yeah, I mean, I guess that debt is fine if you keep growing and can support it. But the question now is, can China keep growing uh, at a rate that would support it? Um, and that can, uh, could have implications for uh, for a number of UK companies uh, for whom China has been uh, an important market. Um, John Rosier, our uh, private investor diarist, uh, has updated his portfolio this month. Uh, some new shares added there that are, that are worth a, a look. Lots of the new section. We've already mentioned Debenhams, but there's some other interesting goings on at Petrofac and RPC and Accesso. As we've discussed on this podcast before, the travel industry is looking uh, a little bit worse for wear. Phil's pulling a face. And yes, all the usual comments, including Phil's uh, follow-up piece on Ocado, uh, following on from our discussion last yeah, week. Yeah, we chunted on about it last week, didn't we? We did. So we're not going to talk about it this week, other than to say, have a read of that. You've, you've, you've tried to... Uh, it was quite... An, I wouldn't say emotional, but, but, you know, we made our feelings on Ocado clear, and I think you just wanted to go away and sense-check what we were saying. Yeah, what, what I did do, I think, which, I, which is interesting, is I, I had a good look through the annual report, and there's some quite interesting things that come out of it, which sort of help help the reader hopefully come to a conclusion one way or another there are some signs and stuff from little things little little things that are in the accounts which are quite revealing i think it's it's really strange i mean i know i know we said we wouldn't talk about it but you know this is one of those you can you can look at it as it's, what sort of a company is it it's almost a philosophical question which kind of even with the numbers in front of you you can't answer that question how of how you view this particular company and its prospects yeah it's hard it's really hard yeah it's a great example it's a great case study and uh, you've done some really good work on the numbers there yeah. um to see whether the valuation stacks up anyway thank you phil uh thank you all for listening um pick up the magazine uh in all good news agents uh, fragile why china's looming debt crisis could hurt your portfolio um or get online and subscribe see you next week